This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday and that means it's time for our Zoomer squad and it's been a big week. Last Thursday, CARP launched its major health care campaign. It's a challenge to federal and provincial governments. Fix health care now. We'll check in on the response so far. And last week, we were trying to puzzle out the meaning of the Canada Revenue Agency's sudden statement telling people who still file paper returns not to worry, that they have not been forgotten. Well, that unleashed a torrent of complaints, because to start with, the agency has made it really hard just to get the paper forms. I have a follow-up. Here are the numbers, because, of course, we'd like to hear from you. They are 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And before I welcome the squad, we're going to start with the CARP campaign. Have a listen to this ad. In Tokyo, there are 13.1 hospital beds per thousand people. But in Toronto, there are only 2.5. Yet Canada spends more on health care than Japan. Fed up? CARP certainly is. That's why we're calling on Prime Minister Trudeau and all the premiers to publicly commit to bringing our performance in line with other countries. Before the next election. Join us. Add your voice at carp.ca slash fix health care now. Let them know we're tired of waiting. Okay, let them know we're tired of waiting. I'd like to welcome Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, David Kravitz, VP of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi, Libby. Okay, so that's a great ad. There's also a TV ad. Marissa, how's it going? It's going well. Um, we've received a good response so far on the campaign. In fact, a number of um, provinces have even gotten back to us. Uh, we sent letters to each premier, their respective health ministers and finance ministers, um, laying out the specific demand of our campaign and expressing sort of what our concerns are with respect to our health care system. And so far, so good. We've received some pretty good feedback. Well, that's pretty impressive if you've got responses from mm-hmm. actual official people. David? Well, I think that they may there may be some worry. I hope there's some worry that CARP will succeed in changing the dialogue toward looking at our performance relative to the money we're spending near the top among OECD countries. We're getting results near the bottom. And if we can start getting the public sort of riled up on this issue, I think the politicians are going to feel an increasing level of pressure. I I would just add, just to, to David's point, to your audience who may be hearing this for the first time, you know, 
what we're basically saying is that our dollars are spent inefficiently, that the various stakeholders in our healthcare system, from long-term care homes to hospitals to primary care providers, that they operate in silos. And when you look at Canada to co- compared to other OECD countries, not including the United States, countries with with comparable healthcare systems, they're performing better. So, for example, Canadian patients wait longer for specialist appointments and elective surgeries than patients in Netherlands, Switzerland, Germany, Australia. Why is that? Why in Scotland do 90% of patients see their GP in under 48 hours, but in Canada, only 43% do? But data points, Libby, only tell one part of the story. There are also the personal stories that I hear from CART members every single day that are frankly horrific. And for this reason, we've decided to shine a light on this issue. Peter, uh, the magazine is all over this. Yeah, we uh, we covered the, the excellent CARP launch. I'd like to congratulate Marissa and David. Uh, that was one of the best CARP uh, advocacy launches I've seen, and I've seen a number in my day. Thanks. <laughs> and it was very professional, and it was very... Um, you know, it, it it sort of hit to the core of, of what's going on here is that, you know, um, you know, a lot of Canadians that just fall into this acceptance of the status quo, you know, oh, I have to wait four months. OK, that's all right. It, it must be like that in other countries, but it's not. And um, and, and the campaign is going to wake people up, I think, wake politicians up, but also wake, educate people that, you know, this isn't what's going on in other countries. Other countries are doing a better job, and we can do a better job. Just last week, we learned of a story of a woman with dementia that was placed in solitary confinement in a cement-blocked room at a London hospital uh, with nothing more than a stretcher, and her food was served to her on a tray on the floor. And images from the room show profanity just written all over the walls of this cement-blocked room. How is that acceptable? But what's worse is the hospital came out with nothing more than apology. Oh, we're sorry. But no one was fired. Oh, no, we're sorry no we consequ- didn't meet your expectations. Which is worse. No one was fired. No consequences for this. Uh, and what's worse is this could happen again. And it does. These aren't one-off stories. We hear them every single day. Yeah, I mean, uh, part of the issue is that because healthcare is a provincial responsibility, they just point fingers at each other, saying it's it's the I've got to stay in my lane. This isn't this isn't my thing. But why have a federal health minister then? I mean, good question. At the end of the day, what we're saying is the feds need to take a leadership role here. Yes, the provinces, they administer health care, but the feds hold much of the purse strings. Um, And so maybe some of those dollars should be tied to performance. Maybe there should be national standards. Why is it that in the four Western provinces, if you are diagnosed with something as life-threatening as cancer, everything is covered? But in Ontario, um, depending on you know, what treatment you're receiving, a pill may not be publicly covered. And in PEI, you'd be lucky to have any cancer treatment covered or any cancer drug covered. Why is that? There's not even parity across our provinces and territories. Surely the feds can take a larger role here. Uh, Absolutely. You you don't have to convince me. Absolutely. And there are standards for most of these things. Frankly, there's standards that uh, with with breast cancer, the time from diagnosis to to surgery should you know there there are standards yeah Yeah, i'm trying to remember exactly what they are but there are definitely definitely benchmarks for these things some are being met 
some are not. Well, look at the the benchmark for hip and knee replacements. It's roughly six months. It's not being met in large parts of the country. But even you know if even if the number is roughly eighty percent of people are are receiving a hip and knee replacement within the six month period, that's a pretty long time. Where other countries wait less for those treatments. You know why why do we have to wait so long? And why is that our benchmark? And and then uh, the wait time before to get to a specialist is a long time. I'll give you an an example. And that's another reason for the pressure on our emergency rooms. This happened to the husband of a friend of mine had terrible back pain for a very long time and was waiting and waiting and waiting for a specialist appointment. And eventually it got so bad that he presented at an emergency room and they, they took a look at him and they said, you need to get surgery now. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally that mm-hmm. night on an emergency basis rather than waiting and waiting and waiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you can question, too, when they set up these so-called benchmarks. Uh, that's why we're placing so much emphasis on other countries because you can prove that medically speaking, a wait of six months for, let's say, hip replacement isn't going to be a life-threatening thing. But if other countries with comparable systems spending less money on health care are able to deliver it quicker, why can't we? And we want to uh, educate the public to start to ask these questions and demand a better performance. We have to put pressure on the only language the politicians understand is the ballot box. And if we can make health care the number one issue, that's when you'll start to see... Because it wasn't an issue. It wasn't even on the radar in the last election. Well, I was going to ask Peter, but first of all, this just (laughs) in, speaking of health care, so Ontario is reporting three new cases of COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, bringing the total to 18. Uh, We're going to get an update on that this afternoon. But that brings up a whole other question. Is this thing going to push other things back? And, and make wait times for other things even worse. We have a lot of resources. The health minister has assured me that, that they have isolation rooms ready to go. They have ventilators ready to go. So what happens to other stuff while we are preparing for this? Well, inevitably, when there is, um, you know, backlogs in hospital emergency rooms, it, it pushes other procedures and surgeries back. So orthopedic surgeons can't get OR time because there aren't recovery beds because they're being used in other ways, whether it's, you know what I mean? So yeah. so inevitably, there's always a ripple effect with these types and of things. And elect- elective surgery gets canceled. Uh, but Peter, what I was going to ask you is that when you take surveys, either before or during an election campaign, people say healthcare is their number one issue. But uh, you know, it seems that they don't vote on it and people don't talk about it. Parties don't talk about it other than in platitudes. Yeah, well, it serves their best interest not to talk about it because if, if they did take a serious look at it, I don't think they'd like what they saw and they'd have to sort of make some very unpopular decisions and no party wants to, you know, play with that stick of dynamite, you know, so... It's in their best interest to push it down the road or just, just as you say, speak about it in platitudes, greatest health care in the world and that kind of thing, without really addressing what's going on here. And, and, and I suppose that's what the campaign's all about, is to 
finally make them see what's going on, make Canadians see what's going on, and hold their politicians to the fire over it. Yep. The other thing before I get to the phones is that, Marissa, you brought up the, the fact that everything is in silos. Okay, people have known that for decades. And every little reform I've ever seen is dedicated to changing that. So why hasn't changed? I mean, to be fair, it's not that governments have not tried to fix the problem. Well, uh, so for one, I think our governments think in four-term cycles um, and often apply Band-Aid solutions to these bigger issues. When you think about our healthcare system, it was built over 50 years ago, and the needs of the patient population at the time were very acute, and those patients were young. We, at no point in the, over the course of the last 50 years did our politicians course correct for the fact that people are living longer, for the fact that uh, people's are living with many complex and chronic conditions, and that's a good thing, but we haven't invested properly in things like home and community care to make sure that we're meeting the needs of people where they want to. I mean, every every week I, there there's some other new announcement uh, and and again, it's always in these kind of dribs and drabs. There's a little more money for home care here. We're doing this to try to fix that. Well, but that's why I would, I would challenge the that the governments have been trying to fix the problem. I don't think they have. I think they've been trying to manipulate the existing structure to make it less outrageous, maybe, to put out the fires where they occur. But if you were trying to fix the problem, you would flip-flop the entire thing and put the patient at the center yeah. and not the bureaucratic structure that the poor patient has to somehow navigate in the least terrible way. Well, we're, we're, and, and we're now in the doing. midst of a major overhaul of the healthcare system here in Ontario, and a lot of people are screaming about it, that yeah. it's not going to be right, and it's very hard in the midst of it actually to even assess it because right. you know maybe it, they'll mess things up worse and, and people are always worried that any mention of health care reform means privatization as well so alarm bells go off there and 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 it becomes an unpopular you know exploration you have to back down on it and, and back up and and you can't reform it because you get the people crying about it's gonna it's gonna lead to privatization okay let's hear from sam in toronto hi sam Hey, uh, Libby, good morning. I mean, good afternoon to all of you. Thank you. I, I, my comment is more of a question. I'm just curious. I was always curious about this part. Like, what, CARP, or is there any static statistics uh, from CARP that kind of research and find out how much of the healthcare system cost is non-medical related? Like, it's a part of administration fee or, like, you know, more of a, a bureaucratic uh, form that the healthcare has, you know, be it accounting, administration, management, and all sort of stuff. And uh, another thing, just fast, uh, like, you know, when it comes to the, co the high cost of uh, doctors, you know, lack of doctors, and that, that adds up to the price of the healthcare. Like, you know, Canada is like a cruise liner, you know, slow, I mean, Canadian system is like a very Hopefully not system. that bad. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Nothing, I'm just making a bad joke, sorry. Um, yeah. And it's like it's more uh, it's more like very slow bureaucratic old system, and uh, you know the India and China 
they produce doctors, you know, in like mass numbers. You know, I mean, in Canada is like this. I don't know if it's the universities, elite circle that they want to keep monopoly and also anyway i'm not really expert on this but i'm just wondering and i thought maybe something well the the doctors need to have jobs they they calibrate that and there are now a few more doctors but in terms of hospitals i mean they're allocated their funding according to the procedures that they perform and i I don't think that the number of patients is in the mix but you know when you think about it medical there there are administrative costs and they are some of them are reasonable, and they also have to, they have very strict rules about keeping track of things, well, which you want. But I, well, but I would I'm, just... I'm, I'm sure, I know, I, I, I agree with you, but what I'm saying is that in like countries like India and China, they had this issue with you know, lack of doctors like many decades ago, and now they have so many that, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but they have so many doctors and you know, graduates and everything that that's like they're like, number 10 priority if we can uh, if you want to bring the cost of uh, you know medical uh, you know cost of healthcare down one of the main reason is the high cost of you know paying the paying off the doctors and specialist nurses and everything else when the number is like they're basically you know you have less to offer then you have to pay more look you know so. okay sam uh, i'll uh, i'll let them respond Thank to you. you thanks for your call so it's not so much that we have a shortage of doctors, um, and, but we do. So, the, uh, but I would argue yes. that that the, that the bigger challenge is in accessing a doctor. Sixty-two um, percent of family physicians aren't accepting new clients, and that's because of a reform to the health system. And a majority don't offer after-hours care. Still not because there's okay. So this is. This is one thing that that I figured out in in one of the latest reorganizations and <clears throat> attempts. Uh, uh, doctors were encouraged to organize themselves in family health teams, mm-hmm. and we now have that. That's going to be played out on a much larger scale with Ontario health teams. But the deal was they are going to be compensated for the number of patients they have. But if the patients ever go anywhere else. Uh, they are going to be penalized. So a lot of these family health teams, they have after hours, they they have things to accommodate that. But the other side of it is that they don't want, they need to limit the people in their practice because if anybody in their practice goes elsewhere to a walk-in clinic or something, they're going to be dinged. So that's in Ontario. And also a lot of Ontarians don't realize that they fall within an Ontario family health team. And so actually when you look at the numbers, in Germany, 92% of patients have access to after-hour care. In Canada, less than half of patients are seen by their physicians after-hour care. And that's a huge problem because if something happens at 7 p.m. at night, where do you go? You go to the emergency room. And actually, the majority of people that show up and emerge are level three, four or five triage, which means they don't necessarily need to be there in the first place. And a hospital is also the most expensive place for you to go. So we're talking about waste. And also in the, the place you're most likely to catch a nasty germ. <laughs> for sure. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So, you know, what we're saying is there needs to be a fundamental redistribution of the dollars in this healthcare system. We need to be rethinking the way that we spend our healthcare dollars. The majority of dollars are spent on hospitals and primary physicians, but we need to make our system also more patient-centric so that we're meeting the needs of patients, not the other way around. One of the guests at our launch on Thursday in the studio audience was a retired dentist, 
And she and I had a very interesting conversation afterwards. And she says, you know, we don't have a health care system here. We have a sick care system here. So if you get sick, there is a transaction. You go to the doctor, some sort of treatment, and the government pays. But if you look at all the in- inputs into health, and she, of course, was talking about dental as well, you'd look at nutrition, you'd look at prevention, you'd look at oral health, you'd look at um, paramedic, you'd look at physio, you'd look at psychological services. All these different things affect health and eventually play themselves out in avoiding having to be in an acute center, i.e. the hospital, which is the most expensive, or not. And they don't look at, they're not even looking at any of that stuff. They're delisting these services. They're not covering these services. And they're saying, well, it's equal. We have wonderful, we don't have two-tier medical care in Canada. Well, the answer is we have about 22-tier medical care. Exactly, exactly. Part of the reason why other countries do so much better is because they cover more broadly, to David's point. There are things like dental. There is universal drug coverage. Remember, Canada's the only country without, in the OECD, without, um, with, within single-payer systems, without a national drug plan. So there are things that Canada can be doing, ways we can be spending our dollars that's, that's better than what we're doing now. Okay, so before we switch to the next topic, what's next with the campaign? So um, we have 26 chapters across the country and in most provinces and territories, and we'll be engaging them, and they'll each be launching their own uh, local healthcare campaign. So if you want to get involved, reach out to us, and we, we can get you connected with one of our chapters because what we have planned next is really exciting. Okay. You should give the come. website because uh, I know a lot of people would want to, you know, not only share their voice but also share their story. That's right? the other yeah. thing is we do have a – on our on our website, on our it's carp.ca slash fix healthcare now. Um, there's an there's an opportunity for you to a get involved and uh, receive updates from us by email, but also for you to share your own healthcare story, and we'd love to hear from you. Okay, uh, we will be revisiting this, of course. Now I'd like to move to the Canada Revenue Agency story because uh, here's what happened last week at this time. We were discussing this. We and frankly, we hadn't had enough time to research. We weren't even sure how people can get paper forms. So I got an interview with the parliamentary secretary to the Minister of National Revenue, and it, <clears throat> sorry, I found that interesting as well because they're like six or something, four or six public relations professionals who work for the Canada Revenue Agency, and MP Francesco Sorbauer was the only person, the only person that could speak to this. Uh, he was kind enough to give us an interview. Now, in that interview, he had to correct himself and hem and haw a bit about the situation. So, if you filed your taxes last year, you will get tax forms in the mail uh, that are the same as what you needed last year, you know, given that right. the forms themselves have been changed. But if not, and the government says one of the ideas of, of changing this and making this campaign is to to cash people who haven't filed taxes and who need to because they're putting a lot of leaving, a lot of benefits on the table, a lot of older people, more vulnerable people. Okay, so if you don't have the forms and you want the paper forms, you're not interested in doing it online, you don't have computer skills, you don't have a computer, uh, you used to be able to walk into a post office and get them. They're just sitting there. Well, now he was able to tell us there is a phone number that I'm about to give out. But 
here's, I found this incomprehensible. His proviso, when we were talking about this, he said, remember to tell people, you have to give them your social insurance mm. number when you request these forms from this phone number. And, and to me, it boggles the mind. We're in the midst, one of the major scams is by telephone, where people, especially vulnerable older people, are asked to give out their social insurance numbers. Why do you need to give out your social insurance number to get a blank tax form? Did he give a reason? No. <laughs> but, 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 you know, this actually is an interesting piggyback onto what we were just talking about in healthcare. There just seems to be some sort of mindset within government generically. I'm not talking about political party. They can't understand the world from the point of view of their customer, of the end user. They only, so here they, we only talked about this last week, Libby, because CRA, they had gone forward with the story. They had volunteered. Look at us. We're changing the form. We want to make it easier. Seniors can't figure out. They've created this fantastic initiative that I'm sure they all worked hard on to encourage better usage of the printed form only to make the printed form (laughs) functionally (laughs) unavailable. And with an audience, they claim to be interested in seniors. Well, all seniors can remember the day when you could walk into a post office. There would be a box yeah, hundreds and boxes. People could just take the forms without any real control because, after all, it was just a blank form anyway. What you, what were you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Now I need to not only phone a number, which God forbid they tell me what that number is. Mm-hmm. Now having phoned that number, I got to give them my social to get a blank form. Issue. So where's the I don't know. Mindset? Maybe they're going to put a label on it. You know, if you get it in the mail, there's a label on it with your information. Now, okay, I'm going to give the number out, people. <laughs> but if you haven't got a pen or a pencil, go get one, and I'll give it out again, and we'll have it at reception because I think a lot of people want this number. Okay, here goes one eight five five three three zero. Three three zero five, and that is the number where you can request paper tax forms. Okay, I'm going to give the number out again before we wrap this segment. And again, what I was told by MP Francesco Sorbaras, you're going to have to give them your social insurance number. And with that, one more proviso. Okay, so you are phoning this number, and maybe you're giving them your social insurance number. Do not ever give it out to anyone who phones you. I, I hope I'm not alerting, alerting the scamsters to another way that they can mm. cause havoc. I, I can't understand why they would require someone's SIN number in order to send out a blank tax, tax form. I mean, it doesn't make any Well, they might be affixing sense. a label to it, but, but the other it's thing is, ridiculous. But the other thing is, is where, does the, where is this phone number posted if not, uh, you know, on... It's actually on Zoom the CRA or, site now. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, there, well yeah. that's how you thanks have to get it. You need to have access to the Libby. internet. It's now thanks to Libby. <laughs> Even then, it wasn't on the CRA site last week. And and we also know from previous Auditor General reports looking at CRA call centers that when people call the CRA, particularly around the busy season, which is now, almost half of calls don't get through. Callers getting busy signals, having to call back multiple times. I mean, the whole situation is just a complete nightmare for people just trying to file their taxes. And And the consequence of this is that people are either overpaying, underpaying, not getting the benefits that they're owed. That leads to reassessments. All of this leads to more money in the end when it could be done simpler. And a 30% error factor exactly. in the information they give you if you do get through by some miracle. Yep. Thanks yep. a bunch, guys. Okay, so so uh, 
Yes, thanks a bunch, guys. We're, we're going to have to wrap this up. What I don't, I, you know, I don't know what to say. I I can call him back and say, you know, why the heck are you asking for this? Pers- you know, sin numbers. I'm assuming it's probably because they're going to affix a label with some information uh, that can be used to process the tax form. But still, it it just seems wrong. Uh, anything else? And Your tax dollars at work. <laughs> someone can probably write down their own sin number on their own, right? So, yeah. I mean, so what? What? what I guess my advice would be to get started early. It sounds like yeah. this is this isn't an easy process. Mm. Um, and if you, there are people out there. There are folks out there in communities that that are willing to support you free of charge. That are volunteering their time to support you. See if you can find someone at your local community center, at your local church, that um, has the ability to support you that way. Peter, what would you like to leave us with on this? Um, well, you know, this isn't a problem that affects just a few thousand. Last year, I think there were close to 3 million people filed by tax forms. So, you know, it's not a tiny little problem. It's it's 3 million people, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> David? Well, again, I come back to uh, this seems to be something that would have been easy to do right. Mm-hmm. It's not a technological breakthrough to post a phone number on a website. Um, or put the, put yeah, the but if the people aren't forms, online, if, they they're, if, they, if they don't go online, how are they going to get? If it they can get, the, go to the website, they can download the form. Well, the for, forms well, in well your let's, local check, post office. let's check for next week. I'll, I'll run a little uh, mini survey. Let's go to a post office and ask them, see whether they've even got the information there. Because huh. if no, I didn't want to leave the don't. forms at the post office, maybe I could at least leave some some info. No. Does that make too much sense? Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. But then they need to go to the post office to get a but, number. It's the death no, letter. the post office, don't go to the post office for this. The post okay. office will not help you with this. Okay. <laughs> but, it's just a storefront. There's thousands of outlets across the country. Maybe yeah. what we could do is, is is ask the government to have blank forms put back in post offices. Maybe that's the solution to this. Sorbera okay. did say you could phone his constituency office. So what would happen if... First he said... No, we. this, is, this was that. an edited interview. First he said... If you live in my riding, you can call my constituency office. And I think he sort of heard. And then he said, oh, no, no. If you call and you're not in my riding, I will. Fi- we will find out who else you should call. Right. So, uh, so all your listeners phone Francisco Cervera's <laughs> office. And, and you won't get several, through. If he gets several thousand phone calls, maybe you'll have his attention. Uh. You, well... We'll see. Okay. Okay. We, we're still going to have to follow up on this. And, and people, um, uh, keep your calls coming to us if, about your experiences with this because uh, we've got to sort it out. Right now, thank you so much, Marissa Lennox, David Kravitz, and Peter Mugridge. Thanks, we'll see Libby. you next week. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.